All right, if you would, open with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'm hoping to finish the message we started last week. Last week, uh, we were trying to finish Philippians chapter 3, but the pastor got inspired and started preaching and ran out of time. And so uh, we're, going to, we're going to do our best to try to finish this passage in Philippians chapter 3 today. And while you find that passage, we're going to start in verse 17. While you're finding Philippians chapter 3, let me invite you to, out to church tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, we are going to have a powerful time tonight. You do not want to miss tonight. I know I say that every week, and I mean it every week. Uh, but tonight especially, the Lord has put, uh, uh, he, uh, 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 I don't know, some sort of stirring in my heart, a, a word tonight that I'm going to bring uh, from Hebrews chapter 11 that I, I believe you need to hear. And I, I'm, I'm pleading with you uh, to come on out tonight at six o'clock if you can. I, 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 you need to hear what the Lord's put on my heart to share with you tonight from Hebrews chapter 11. So let me encourage you to join us tonight at six o'clock. Okay, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to read through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writing, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would bless it today, uh, that you would help us to, to understand uh, what it is that you are speaking to us today. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active and powerful. And we pray that it would have its work in our hearts today as we humble ourselves in, before you and we humble ourselves before your word. Lord, teach and instruct and encourage and bless and strengthen and renew and restore our souls and our hearts and our minds and our emotions as we uh, hear your word today. Move in our lives by your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, as we looked at last week, Paul here was drawing a contrast between uh, two types of leaders. At first, he said, follow my example and follow the example that has been set forth uh, for you uh, by these godly leaders, by these faithful ministers. And, and he used himself as an example and he used other people uh, that had followed the, 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 the leading of Jesus and, and followed the teaching of Jesus as examples uh, to, for, for the Philippians to follow. 
And we looked at last week how we all need good and godly examples in our lives. Yes, we're following Jesus, absolutely. He is the one that we are following, but it helps when we have examples who, who show us what it looks like to follow Jesus, who can show us in, in our day and age, what, what does it look like in 2022 to live for Christ, to raise a family, to, to, to live for Christ at work, to honor God in, with my life and with my body and with my finances and with my words and with my thoughts and with my time. What does that look like today? Because it might look a little bit different than it did 2,000 years ago. Amen. When they didn't have TV and Netflix and YouTube and they didn't have government schools indoctrinating your kids with the rainbow flag agenda. It might look a little bit different today. And so we need godly examples that can show us what does it look like to follow Jesus in 2022. And so he uses himself as an example, not in a, any sort of way as a, a, proud, a proud stance, because he's already admitted that he's not perfect, that, that he himself is, is following after Christ. And so when, when godly leaders follow Christ, it's okay to follow them. When, when godly leaders, as, as we all inevitably do, sin, don't, don't follow them, okay? That, that's how it works. And so we have God's word as the ultimate standard, God's word as the, the ultimate uh, uh, rule of, of life and practice for the believer so that we can know what is right and what is wrong and, and who to follow and who not to follow. And again, Paul is drawing this contrast between good teachers, faithful teachers, faithful Christian leaders, and ungodly examples. And here in this passage, I, I, I mentioned that he, he uses six uh, things to describe these false teachers, these false teachers who are teaching false doctrine. And in this passage, he doesn't focus on their false doctrine or their false teaching, but rather he, here he focuses on, on their lifestyle. He focuses here on the way that they live their lives. And, and we as God's people should not emulate those who do not follow Christ. Amen. And so we made it through the first three last week. And so I highlighted for you last week that this word in verse 18, when he talks about false teachers, he uses the word many. And I want you to know that, that false teaching and false teachers, they're not some, some little obscure group hidden in the corner that nobody hears from. No, in fact, there are many of them. In fact, they are very prolific in fact, they are very good at getting their false teaching out to the world. And so we as God's people, we must use discernment. D discernment should be our number one priority when it comes to any sort of, of truth, any sort of truth claim, any sort of spiritual instruction. We must use discernment. And we saw all the way back in Philippians chapter 1 when we looked at that 100 years ago, we saw that discernment is informed by the Word of God. As we hide God's Word in our hearts, it helps us to exercise discernment. To exercise discernment. You know, we live in a day and age when the word discernment is a bad word. Uh, another way to say discernment is discrimin discriminatory. 
We, we live in a, in a day and age where to discriminate against anything is taboo. But discrimination is a good thing. It's good to discriminate between what is good and what is evil. Between what is true and what is false. But we live in a world that wants to flatten everything and say, no, there's no good, there's no evil, there's no true, there's no false. Just mix it all together and, and, and to exercise any sort of discernment or to make any sort of discrimination against anybody or anything is, is totally off limits. And to do so will get you canceled, will get you deplatformed, will maybe get you fired from your job. Because you have, are not keeping the, the cardinal virtue of our culture, which is tolerance. We must tolerate everything and everyone. No, I'm sorry. You, you know what tolerate means? Tolerate's like the lowest rung on the bar. To, to tolerate something is basically to not kill somebody if you don't like what they're doing. If you didn't kill them, guess what? You tolerated them. That's tolerance. To, to not obliterate everything that you disagree with. It doesn't mean you accept it. It doesn't mean you approve it. It doesn't mean you endorse it. It doesn't mean you promote it. To, to tolerate something is just simply to say, yeah, okay, whatever. That's toler tolerance. But, but we have, our, our culture has taken the word tolerance and they've changed the definition of it, and they've imported all of those other words into it, where now toler to tolerate something means you have to accept it. You have to endorse it. You have to approve it. You have to promote it. And if you don't do those things, then you're not being tolerant. Listen, God calls us to something higher than tolerance as Christians. He calls us to love one another, to love one another, and listen, because I love my kids, if I see them running out into the street, I'm not going to tolerate their stupid decision to go and get run over by a car. I'm going to say, stop. Don't go that way. The end is destruction. We shouldn't tolerate lifestyle choices. We shouldn't tolerate sin that ends in destruction. The wages of sin is death. No, as God's people, we are called to speak the truth in love. As Paul says here, with tears in our eyes, with hearts that are broken, not hard hearts, not hearts that look down on people, not hearts that are condemning, no hearts that are broken, broken. Jesus, the Bible says, he looked on, on the people and he wept. He was moved with compassion when he saw the crowds. Why? Because they were as sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. His heart broke. Listen, when we see the, the flood of debauchery that's happening in our culture today, it should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. When we see parents dressing up their boys as little girls, it should break our hearts when we see parents dressing up their five and six and seven-year-olds in drag apparel and parading their little boys in front of adult men 
who are being turned on by this. It should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. Our hearts should be broken. Our hearts should weep. But we live in a culture right now that is trying to harden our hearts. The news media wants your heart to be hard. Listen, we have to have beating hearts. We have to have hearts that are broken. We have to have hearts that are filled with the love of Christ. And because we have Christ's love and we have his word and we have the truth, we understand, as we looked at last week, and as this passage says, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. This is where they are headed. This is where sin leads you. And we have to understand that just because the culture changes and the values of the culture change, God's word never changes. Just because the attitudes and the affections change in the culture, God's word doesn't change. What was sin 6,000 years ago is still sin today. Why? Because God doesn't change. And God's word is an expression of his nature, is an expression of his character. And because of his love for us, he's given us his word so that we can know how to live, that we can avoid destruction. So there are many false teachers. Therefore, we must exercise discernment. Discernment that is trained by the word of God. The second thing we saw last week is that they are enemies of the cross. Again, not of the physical cross, but they're enemies of the gospel. They're enemies of the atoning work of Christ. You, 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 you hear that and you think, well, who's, who's really an enemy of the cross? There's probably not that many people going around with a bumper sticker that has a cross and a, you know, the, the circle with a line through it on their back. But what it means is to be an enemy of the gospel. To be an enemy of the gospel message. There's a lot of people who are an enemy of the gospel today. They don't even know it. They don't wake up in the morning and think, how can I destroy Christ? How can I destroy the cross? How can I destroy Christianity? No. But they've embraced a worldview that is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is that God is good, that God is holy, that God is just, that God is creator, that he has given us his word, he's taught us how to live, and that all of us have rebelled against God. We've chosen to go our own way. And because we've rebelled against God, because we've sinned against God, we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. And because of that, humanity is not basically good. No, the Bible says that the heart of man is sick and desperately wicked. So any, any worldview, any, anyone who would espouse that at, at the core humanity is basically good, again, that's, that's, that's a message that's the antithesis of the gospel. And that's the message that's being preached 24-7 in our world today. We as God's people cannot believe that message. No, we are sinners who need a Savior and Jesus Christ is that only Savior. We will not be saved by 
government. We will, be not, we will not be saved by politicians. We will not be saved by execution, uh, uh, not execution, uh, education. Sorry, it's hard to tell the difference uh, these days. Uh, we will not be saved by education or economic opportunity. No, only Jesus Christ is our Savior because only Jesus Christ has dealt with sin. All right, I need to move on or I'll just preach last week's message again. Let's move on to number four. Number four. He says, their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Now, that's a very literal translation of the Greek, but what he's saying is that these people are led by not God. They do not follow God, but they're led by their appetites. They're led by their own fleshly desires. They're led by their carnal flesh, by their carnal cravings. Because these false teachers, and, and again, they, they could be labeled as Christian or they may not be labeled as Christian. Nevertheless, they are espousing a way to live in the world that God made. And they are enemies of the cross. And therefore, they do not do what Christ said, which what did Jesus say? Jesus said, we must, if we're going to follow him, we must what? Deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him. False teachers, false voices, people who are leading people astray today, they do not deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Christ. They do not preach a message of self-denial. And why is it that we must deny ourselves? Because in our flesh, in and of ourselves, we are sinful. Our desires are sinful desires. And in fact, in the book of Ephesians, it tells us that our desires are deceitful desires. That means if we only ever listen to our emotions, if we only ever listen to our cravings, we will be led into sin. We will be led into sin. That's what it means when it says their God is their belly. And so Christ calls us to self-denial, to laying ourselves down, to following him. Just as he laid himself down, just as he took up the cross and went to Calvary, so we too are called to crucify our flesh. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, he says, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. To follow Christ by definition means you are not following yourself. You are not following the desires of your own heart, but you are following hard after him. And to follow Christ, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself. Now, we live in a culture that does not preach self-denial, but preaches self-actualization. You can walk into every Walmart today and find a t-shirt in the little girl's section that says, follow your heart. That's the worst advice anybody could give to any little kid, is to follow their heart. No, we must follow Christ. We must follow Christ. 
Our heart is deceitful. Our heart is sick and desperately wicked. Our flesh has desires that are contrary to the law of God. And we must, as Paul says, we must mortify our flesh. We must take it to the cross. We must deny ourselves. You see, the world preaches a message of if you don't embrace every carnal feeling, every carnal desire that you have, that you will never be happy, that you will never find satisfaction, that you will never have love. That's what the world preaches. But the end of that path is truly destruction. The end of that path is the fires of hell. It might be temporarily satisfying. Sin, the Bible is honest about that, that, that sin brings pleasure for a moment. And we all have tasted of the momentary pleasure of sin. But there is a bitterness. There is a sickness. There is a... A, a condemnation, there, there is a conviction, there is a, a, a burden that sin brings, and we've all felt that too. We've all felt that too. No, we must not follow our own hearts. We must not follow our own desires. We must follow Christ. We live in a world that finds this idea totally reprehensible. Because our culture has adopted this hedonism, this, this, that the pursuit of pleasure is the ultimate end and goal for everyone's life, that there's no higher meaning and purpose to life than temporary pleasure. That's what our culture pursues. We've gotten to the point now, we've embraced this so wholly and, and, and fully that we are on the verge, hear me in this, we are on the verge of pedophilia being mainstreamed. We are on the verge. There is a movement today to accept pedophilia as an as a, as a identity. They call it a minor attracted person. They say, I was just born this way. There are this deception, this delusion. You hear this and you say, oh, it could never happen. Wake up. If you think it couldn't happen where that's accepted today, wake up. You are asleep. You might be dead. Wake up. Wake up. That's where this is going. There are no more brakes on the bus. We, 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 we've blown past all of the warning signs on the way over the cliff. Why? Because the idea of self-denial has been completely and totally rejected. You see, it used to be that you would look at the person who is having unnatural desires and you would say, that is sin. You must deny yourself and follow Christ. You would look at the, the serial adulterer and you would say, that is sin. You must deny yourself and follow Christ. But today we don't call it adultery. We say, no, they just have an open marriage. It's adultery. 
It used to be that if you took the life of your child, it was called murder. Today, it's called health care. It's deception. It's deception. It's delusion. And it's because we have refused to follow Christ. It's because we have refused to deny ourselves and follow Christ. Submit our lives to him. No, we live in a culture where our God is our belly. And we, we live in a culture that preaches, has many voices, even within the church, unfortunately, that preaches that we should not restrain our passions, we should not restrain our lusts, we should not temper our desires or our appetites whatsoever. And there are many even in the church that claim to follow Christ. They claim to follow the one who gave up everything to serve others, yet they refuse to take up their own cross and follow Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you're struggling with any of the sins that I have mentioned today, I want you to know uh, that God is not against you, that God has come to pursue you in the person of Christ, that he died on the cross, shed his blood so that you could be set free of sin. Stop listening to the voices that tell you, amen. Stop listening to people who tell you that you are your sin and that you must embrace your sin at your core, at the core identity of who you are. Listen, that's the enemy's trap to put you on the path to destruction. No, we must embrace who God says we are and we must reject sin. And you can do it with the power of Christ. Jesus came to set us free. We all struggle in our flesh. We all struggle. We are all tempted. Christ himself, the Bible says, was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to give in to the temptation. And Christ came to help us to battle temptation, to overcome sin, to take us off the pathway to destruction and put us on the pathway to eternal life. We want better for you. That is all. We just want better for you than destruction. Number five uh, things about false voices is again in verse 19. It says that they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. The, the things that people should be ashamed of, they're not ashamed of anymore. The, the things that once uh, people were afraid to even mention, they're more than happy to blast to the world that that is what they are into these days. They glory in their shame. They, 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 they take pride in what they should be ashamed of. I don't think I need to spend time elaborating this point. In our country, we devote an entire month of our calendar to glorying in our shame. Every June is de devoted to what is called Pride Month, where the whole country glories in their shame. Again, Paul is saying there are godly examples 
And there are ungodly examples. There are godly voices that we should hear and heed and pay attention to. And there are ungodly voices. I would say to you that any so-called pastor or spiritual leader that participates in what I just mentioned, uh, that's a great indicator for you of what category they are in. It's not a mystery. And number six, again in verse 19, it says that their minds are set on earthly things. Mindset on earthly things. What is that? That's materialism. That's the amassing of, of wealth. That's living a life of ease and luxury. And again, any voice, any Christian that is supposedly leading in, in the thought leader or teacher or preacher, that it appears that their whole point in ministry is to amass wealth, it should be a serious red flag for us. Materialism is not the focus of the Christian life. I don't know if you know that. The focus of the Christian life is not to amass as many possessions as we possibly can before we die and can take none of them with us. We came into this world naked with nothing. We leave the exact same way. The old preacher used to say, I've I've never seen a a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Like, it's just not how it works. We are very blessed in this country. The Bible says that with every blessing comes an equal responsibility. To whom much is given, much is required. And it's on us as God's people to use, to steward the blessing he has given us for the glory of Christ, for the kingdom of God, for the spread of the gospel in the nations. Not to, not to just buy a bigger boat. And look, I'm pro-boat, all right? If you've got a boat, you ought to be taking your pastor out on it. That's all I got to say. All right? But we, we, we have to use wisdom. If, if all of our resources are only going towards material purposes, temporary uh, things that are fleeting and passing away, then, then we, we need to recalibrate. We, we need to be better stewards. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy what God's given us, but, but it needs to be in a proper balance. We, we need to look to the kingdom of God and expanding his kingdom. And then he goes on to say that he contrasts that by using the word but in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. So we're not like that. We're, we, we have something more than earthly citizenship. And I'm thankful for the citizenship that I have. I'm, I'm thankful that my passport says USA on it. I'm thankful for that. But I, I want you to know that there's a citizenship that I prize even higher than that. And that is that I am a citizen of heaven. And if you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what passport you have. 
Well, it does, depending on what country you want to go into here. But if you want to make it into that country, you got to have a passport of the kingdom of heaven. you got to have your heart stamped with the Holy Spirit. And for believers in Christ, we have a new citizenship. Our citizenship is from heaven. And when he uses the word but, he, he, he's saying that everyone we've just been talking about, their citizenship is not from heaven. False teachers are not heavenly citizens. Why? Because they do not glory in Christ, but they glory in their shame. They do not have mindset on heavenly things, but earthly things. They preach and teach about not how to go to heaven, but they preach and teach about how to live your best life now. It's all about the here and now. No, wait, wait. wait. He says, for God's people, our citizenship is from heaven and our gaze is upwards because from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are looking forward to when he returns and he will transform our lowly body, our physical body, our body that is decaying. And how many of you are, can, can know what I'm talking about? Right? That this body that is wearing out that one day when he returns, he's going to transform our bodies in the resurrection and we will all share in his glorious body, that resurrected body that he had, that perfected body where there will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease, there will be no more COVID-19, there will be no more variants, there will be no more cancer, there will be no more disease or aches or anything like that ever again. When he returns, we will have a resurrected body like he does. And this is where our hope is. It says we have a hope. Our Savior, we wait for him to return. This is our glorious hope. And he says he will do this by the power. The power that he has right now that enables him to subject all things to himself. Do you remember when we, we read in, in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow? Do you remember that? And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, that is happening. That will happen. That is coming. That is where all of future is headed towards, where every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing, both here on earth and in heaven and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he has the power, it says, to make that happen. He has the power to subject all things to himself. And we're a citizen of that kingdom, that kingdom of heaven, that kingdom. And so we have, while we live here on this earth, we have different values than everybody else. We have a different culture than everybody else. We might be looked at as weird or strange or not fitting in. Great. I do not want to fit in. I want to stand out as much as possible from the culture, from this world that is heading towards destruction. Jesus said we were to be salt and light. Those things stand out, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed. 
Have, have you ever taken, tasted something and, and what's the first thing you say? This needs some salt, right? Put some salt on this thing. Have you ever had something that had too much salt? Right? It's, it stands out. In a dark room, if you turn a light on, even however dim it might be, that light, it will bring illumination if it's a dark place. God's people are meant to stand out. Just get used to it. Stop trying to blend in with the world. Stop trying to be an undercover Christian, blending in with people on the road to destruction. No, we stand up and we stand out for Jesus Christ because we are serving the one who will and who is bringing all things under his feet, who is subjecting everything to himself. That's why in verse one of chapter four, he starts out by saying, therefore, therefore. All of that was me trying to work to get to this word, therefore. In light of everything I just said, what do we do? Therefore, what does he say? Stand firm. Therefore, stand firm thus in the Lord, knowing that Christ will subject all things to himself, knowing that future is heading to a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, knowing that when he returns, he will give us a resurrected body, that we will have and rule and reign with him for all eternity. Knowing these things, we stand firm. We stand our ground. We do not bend and we do not bow and we do not give in and we do not give up and we do not swerve from the truth. Therefore, we stand firm because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is returning one day to judge the living and the dead. And when he returns, I want to be found on his side. Therefore, we stand firm now. No matter what anybody might say about you or tweet about you or say at work, whatever. Listen, Jesus is coming again. We need to be mindful of that. We need to be mindful that we must stand for him now. Because he says that whoever denies him in front of men, he will deny in front of his father in heaven. Those are his words. We must live for Christ now. We must shine for Christ now. We must, as Peter said, save ourselves from this wicked and perverse generation. We got to stop listening to the lies, to, to those who reject Christ, to those who reject the truth and what they have to say about anything. No, we follow Christ. We follow his word. We have hearts that are trained in the truth. We have hearts that are softened by the gospel. And we therefore stand firm because our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, king of kings and Lord of lords, the one who will judge the world when he returns. According to a 2021 survey, just last August, nearly 70% of Americans claim to be Christian. The most recent survey done on, on faith in America finds 70% of Americans claiming to be Christians. 
when I read that, I, I just said, how can that be? What? How can this be that 230 million Americans have gone along with the destruction of marriage and family and the sacrifice of children? How can it be with so many Christians in America? How can it be? How can we account for what we're seeing in our culture? And this is why Paul warned the Philippians with tears. Not everyone who claims the name of Christ is a Christian. Not everyone who says they're a believer really believes. Which group are you a part of? Are you a part of God's elect? Are you a part of his remnant in the world today? Or are you, or are you like so many being swept away on the path of destruction. How in the world can it be that 70% of Americans claim to follow Christ and every day we see our culture not following Christ but running headlong to the fires of hell? So Paul, because of his love for the Philippians, he warns them and he warns them with tears, do not Follow falsehood. Do not follow falsehood. Do not be led astray. Where are the Christians who will stand for the truth in our evil day? Where are the Christians who will not compromise on God's word and what God has spoken? Where are the Christians who do not have their minds trained on earthly things, but are eagerly awaiting the return of our Savior? We need revival in this country. We need revival. Revival starts when God's people have their hearts broken because of sin, starting with their own sin. That's where revival starts. It's when we are not angry at their sin we are broken because of our sin. God's people, God's people turning back to God. Those who named the name of Christ turning back to God. In the days of the Roman Empire, there was a phrase. It was Romanus Sum. It simply meant, I am a Roman. Romanus sum. And people would utter this phrase when someone presented to them some sort of underhanded or morally compromised thing to do. When presented with, with some sort of moral depravity, something that a, 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 they, they viewed to be... Uh, sinful or, or not something they should do or something that would bring reproach upon the Roman Empire by their behavior. They simply need say, Romanus sum, I am a Roman. And by saying that, the conversation stopped. By saying that, it was clear, I'm not going along with what you just proposed. 
It should be that way in our day where we simply need to say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I follow Christ. May God grant us in our day to see a revival sweep our land. We're simply saying, I am a Christian, actually meant something. Actually meant something. Because as far as I can see today, it means next to nothing. When we see so many so-called Christians going along with the world. I am a Christian. I have taken up my cross. I say no to what I want. I say yes to what he wants because he died and redeemed me. He purchased my life. I do not belong to myself. I belong to him. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. May we as God's people not go along with the culture. Why? Because we are Christians and we follow Christ. Amen? I invite you to stand with me. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that it would pierce our hearts. Lord, let us not be lured into the trap of either going along with the culture or allowing the culture to harden our hearts. Lord, both of those are a trap of the enemy. We see in Paul an example as he, as he wept over falsehood, as he wept over sin. God, that you would break our hearts. Lord, that we would not be hard-hearted, but that we would be tender-hearted before you. Lord, let the sin in our world, let us not become comfortable, let us not become complacent, let us not be lured into indulging it in our own lives or entertaining these falsehoods, Lord Jesus. But Lord, that our hearts would be soft, that our hearts would be broken before you, the one who paid the price for our sin to redeem our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.